Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to this latest edition of The Gift of Freedom, where we bring you all of the historical information that you can imagine on African-American history and things that you need to know. Tonight, I'm so thrilled to have Dr. Philip Morell, who is a nationally recognized expert in African-American memorabilia and history. His speech, his specialties uh, include African-American historical research, oral history, and collecting and interpreting cultural artifacts. He was an appraiser with the PBS television show Antiques Roadshow from 1996 to 2001, where he created the category for black memorabilia. He has lectured extensively on African-American history and collectibles. He owns a, a very eclectic collection, as you can imagine, and he's authored two books. He's the editor of uh, the World War II Black Regiment that built the Alaska Military Highway, um, he's been a frequent contributor to a variety of publications. He's been a segment producer for a television show. You really can go on and on and on about his he- uh, history. He's currently a consultant to the Smithsonian's Institute uh, and a costume museum and center for African-American history and culture. He's going to be talking to us about um, the uh, Jeannie Dean School in Virginia. But before we do that... Uh, with someone who has his extensive uh, background, I want you, Dr. Merrill, to talk to us about how you got interested in African-American memorabilia and history. Uh, that's a very simple question. Uh, I was fortunate to have my great-grandmother in my house as a little child, and she just overwhelmed me with stories of the past, and uh, we had antiques and old things around the house, so it just came natural. It was the, the, the next progression in my life was to go out and learn more about history and culture and begin to collect additional artifacts other than what was in my childhood home. And how did you go about doing that, collecting those artifacts? Did you research them? Did you go online? Did you visit stores? Well, well, because because I'm old, and I don't like to tell people how old, but I'm I'm old as dirt. But uh, I won't I won't even ask it at all. Good, thank you. Back in the day, uh, this was before internet. Uh, I would go to flea markets, estate sales. I would uh, knock on doors, uh, dig in the trash can, uh, and uh, I would carry some of the uh, typical reference books in a backpack that dealt largely with kitsch or what I call um, mass-produced uh, memorabilia. But I quickly got bored of that kind of crap. I'm calling it crap, and I wanted to learn more about black folk. I wanted to know about black church history, black business, secret societies, you know, um, illegal numbers. Uh, I-, I wanted the true essence of our journey. So I stopped collecting mass-produced items and began to get into public, social, community, family, history, and so forth. Oh, that's amazing. Um, And when you talk about your collection, uh, which is pretty extensive, with some 30,000 pieces, um, what would you say is some of the more, uh, not necessarily more important or prominent pieces that you have? Um. That kind of changes with the weather. I tell people I'm like a meteorologist because in the morning I can tell you one thing, and by the end of the day, uh, the weather's changed as has my opinion. But uh, for, for instance, um, we have a one of a kind letter from Zora Neale uh, from 1939 that's uh, typed and signed by her, and she's using some vernacular of the day, 
which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, that was saved from the trash can from a lady who was very closely associated with uh, the noted folklorist. Um, we have a rare collection of letters from an uh, enslaved family from Kentucky that uh, ended up attending Berea College, which is the Oberlin of uh, Kentucky. And uh, there's some prominent letters and items from Paul Dunbar, from uh, Frederick Douglass, from um, Bishop Benjamin W. Arnett, and the, and the list just goes on. Um, it's hard for me to say because I could talk about some paintings, I could talk about some, some furniture made by a bed uh, that was made by a slave in Virginia. Uh, it, it just it, it runs the gamut. I really couldn't tell you um, because... I'm at a different place today than I was five years ago, so what I deem uh, important or valuable may not be to the larger public. Right. And when you officially became an appraiser, how did you do that and get connected with CBS? Uh, you know what? Through the grace of God. Um, I, I'm a believer, and uh, I step out on faith quite a bit. Uh, and I was... Uh, I curated an exhibit in New York in 1996 at the Hudson. It was in Chelsea, maybe at the Hudson Settlement House. It was an off-Broadway play called We Are Your Sisters. that's based on a Dorothy Sterling book. And Clarence Page, the noted syndicated columnist from the Chicago Tribune, oh, yeah. came Absolutely. in, interviewed me, was beyond impressed, uh, put me on the McNeil-Lair report, and said he's one of the leading experts in the country, and the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Straight up history. That's, that's it. Um, and uh, it, it's been a, uh, a journey. There's never a dull day because of uh, consulting, because of trying to uh, write new books, trying to get contracts, trying to speak at conferences, trying to get your own TV show. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's quite an interesting field to be in. But I love what I do. I this is my ministry. So that, that's the only way to to be. I think is by loving what you do, no matter what it is. Um, tell us about Jenny Dean. Who was she? Well, for, first of all, I, I was just um, overwhelmed today when I saw that I, I've been in love with Jenny Dean since um, 1997. Um, she was a former slave who. Uh, did some domestic work and ended up at the historic 19th Street Baptist Church in the District of Columbia, which uh, for all the church uh, historians know that that was pastored by uh, Reverend Dr. Walter Brooks, who, who was a legend in the, in the black Baptist um, church uh, history. Uh, she went up and down uh, Virginia setting up Sabbath schools, and eventually she was able to uh, raise money largely through the help of some white philanthropists uh, to set up the Manassas Industrial School for Colored Youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was yeah. a very homely... Li- I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I, I want you to continue, but I, I wanted you to talk about some of the, the training uh, that went on there. And if you can, explain what a Sabbath school is. Okay, sure. Um, one thing at a time. The Sabbath schools are, are very big in the 19th century in African-American uh, church history, uh, where often that's where the black folk in a particular community got their education. Uh, it was connected to a specific church. For instance, it could have been uh, an AME church, it could be a Baptist church, but it's where there was a superintendent of the of the Sabbath school and the teachers and there's a roster and this is where uh, folks of color 
got their education uh, before we had the Rosenwald schools and other schools that were popping up that are equally as important. See, so really what Jenny Dean was doing was laying the groundwork for, for a greater vision, for something bigger than the traditional Sabbath type of school. Mm-hmm. And uh, what kind of training and, went on there? Now, this is what is really exciting. In so many ways, it, it mirrors what went on at a Hampton or what went on at a Tuskegee. Um, there were vocational traits, which which I just think is so exciting because this is the the, the ministry, the, the mission, the life, the love of this very tiny but determined, strong-willed African-American woman. And what what, what is fascinating is that Today we talk about uh, the significance of HBCUs and, and how um, black folk need to do this and need to do that. Well, she did all that. She was not going to just say, okay, I'm going to rely solely on uh, my brethren and sisters. She went out and got white money to help in this cause. And they had um, all kinds of vocational trades. They had dairying and poultry. Um, they, they had regular book, uh, you know, your regular academics, but it, it was almost like a farm environment. And you can't imagine how excited I was when I first began to uncover piece by piece this multiple thousand piece collection from one family uh, that came out of slavery in Kentucky that ended up being one of the early principals at the Manassas Industrial College School. Mm-hmm. Now, what is a road mean school? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Uh, what is a road Rosemead school? Oh no, I, I said Rosenwald. A uh, Rosenwald. What is that? Uh, uh, Booker T. Washington. It, it's a triumvirate kind of uh, process. Booker T. Washington, philanthropist uh, Julius Rosenwald, and the black community would come together to set up these schools. And today, because of the 100th anniversary, all across the South and other, uh, even in you know, Maryland, Virginia, and other places, you see a greater interest in historically preserving the legacy of these one- and two-room schoolhouses uh, that played a vital role in um, getting many of our ancestors' education that caused, allowed them to go on to college. So what I was saying is that Sabbath schools took place before uh, Rosenwald schools were up and running. So the Sabbath schools played a big role in our black community. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also a Frederick Douglass connection, right? I'm sorry? I'm sorry. There was also a Frederick Douglass connection to the story. Oh, there's an there's outstanding Frederick Douglass connection. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, that letter along with part of this collection at one point in 2001, was on display at the Anacostia when they had their grand reopening for an exhibit called Precious Memories. Frederick Douglass was a friend of Edward Woodford, Edward Hitchcock Woodford, who was formerly enslaved in Kentucky, a graduate of Berea College, uh, and had ended up being the really, for all intents and purposes, the first main principal of the Manassas Industrial College School. And the letter that we have from Douglas is a four-page letter to Edward Woodford discussing the precursor to uh, Plessy v. Ferguson. In this case, he was discussing the anti-separate coach issue, and he's talking about how when he was a slave, uh, the white man would never be satisfied unless he was in the presence of the Negro. And, I mean, the, the letter is just its unbelievable. It, it's its hmm. so 
on point on 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 a, on a myriad of levels where he's just got wow. some thrift, saving your money, owning a house. Don't I mean things that we haven't mastered today in 2014? He's saying in 1892. So wow, that, Woodford actually really met amazing. with Douglas in the District of Columbia because Woodford became a part of the elite DC movement because the Manassas Industrial School had Henry Baker uh, and a bunch of other important. Uh, people in the D.C. power structure connected to the Manassas Industrial School. Hmm. That, that's amazing. Um, yes, how can people really view a collection? Uh, unfortunately, they can't. Um, I no longer have a building. We, we used to have a private, appointment-only cultural center. Now the only way they can is when um, I'm giving a lecture somewhere or curating an exhibit or when I launch the new website called an artifactualjourney.com which is the name of the uh, talk that I'm giving on the 19th. Uh, so really, you, you, the public cannot, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm not a public servant. I, we are privately owned and operated, and so when I write an article or do a TV segment or something of that nature, um, they can. But overall, it's not like you can walk through room after room to see uh, the collection anymore. It hasn't been available since 2004. Mm-hmm. Well, what about perhaps doing a virtual collection or doing something uh, online? Well, um, I, I, I'm doing a lot of projects, which I really can't talk about at this point, but we might be moving in that direction at some point, but we, we are busy <laughs> consulting on, on all kinds of exciting projects that in time you'll get to see snippets, but not overall, you know, uh, virtual where you can just kind of open a door, go through the room and see uh, the, the various books or KKK items or World War One. We have a fabulous World War One archive, uh, trench art, Buffalo soldier uniform, letters, dog tags, and so forth. So, no, at the moment I would say no, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um, so what is on the site of the school now? Um, the, the, uh, there's a kiosk uh, where you can see a regular uh, loop of, you know, of some history, and they have a, a, a scale model of some of the early buildings. And, of course, they have a museum, which is also up on a, a Smithsonian affiliate. And it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, on one of the many occasions that uh, I was at the museum, one of the times I took the grandson of Edward Woodford to the museum. Wow. And the grandson had no idea about the significance of his grandfather and his aunt and uncle because the grandfather's best friend uh, ended up being a uh, principal after him. So you, you really wow. see your own underground railroad connection, as I like to call it. We had our own old boys network, and it's so nice to see when we took care of each other. When we got to a location, uh, you know, be it a church, be it a, a community, we called other folk that we knew, and then they came and became a part of making that environment sustainable. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your book. Um, you, you have written more than one, um, and, and we kind of talked about the one book that you uh, referenced with respect to uh, collecting art, um, although we didn't go into it specifically. You kind of covered most of the pieces there. Uh, talk about the second book that you wrote. Wait, I don't know. Which, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the Black America series Baltimore or the military book? 
through University of Mississippi. Um, this is the Black America series, Baltimore. You chronicle the history of Baltimore's African-American community. Okay, um, that's in its sixth or seventh printing. It came out in 19, I don't even know, uh, 98 or 9. I'm almost embarrassed uh, because of how, how much I've grown uh, as a researcher, as a writer, and just in putting together uh, pieces of the puzzle. But nonetheless, uh, every item in that book comes from our archive. Uh, the letter from um, Booker T. Washington, uh, the obviously letter from Zora, um, photographs. We were trying to give the public uh, a, a quick lens, a quick view of the Baltimore that you don't hear about. So, you know, we talked a little bit about Frederick Douglass High School. Um, we, we talked about entertainment. Baltimore has a Pennsylvania Avenue that is very similar to Lenox in Harlem or very similar to the Bronzeville District or any other urban mecca where the cultural hub is within the black community. Marcus Garvey was here. W.B. Du Bois was here. Booker T. was here frequently. Um, you know, Madam C.J. Walker and the hair products and Annie Turnbull Malone with Poro and Madam Washington with Apex. Baltimore, because of the geographic location, uh, because at one point it was the largest free black population in antebellum era, because of the port, because of the Afro-American newspaper. I mean, I can just go on and on and on. You have all kinds of the proverbial who's who visiting, living, working, and being associated with Baltimore's black community. And it's under-recognized locally, regionally, and nationally. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you absolutely have a point. Um, and, and you also wrote a children's book, How Princess Wee Wee Got Her Name. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm very excited about that. I can't wait for it to officially come out. Um, it was on display for a whole year at the uh, American Visionary Arts Museum, which is a cutting-edge, award-winning museum uh, in Baltimore's Harbor Place area. And it's, a, it's based on a true, uh, I hate to say because I'm not politically correct, she was vertically challenged. In other words, she was short. She was a midget. And uh, she ended up dancing in Black Vaudeville and uh, hanging out with the Whitman sisters and dancing in front of two different presidents at the White House, dancing in Cuba, dancing in England. She had a housekeeper, and her house is, is still extent in Baltimore. So from a research, I thought it would be better to excite and engage the children by having a wonderfully illustrated book. And then at the very end, you see the historic artifacts that the book is based on. You just really have a whole host of very important uh, African-American anecdotes and stories, uh, and it's very easy to say, wow, 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 we may have to edit my wow out of the show. Um, well, you, you know what, because I don't, I don't know you very well, um, most of the time the people that I do know from going on shows frequently, I usually tell them up front, whatever you do, please don't say wow, wow, wow. Please don't uh, become redundant with your excitement. But it, I, I, lose, I lose the excitement. I, I tell people I'm like, a, I'm like a coroner in a morgue because I'm entrenched in all of this every day, 365, and anyone that knows me that's in my inner circle, they know if I'm at happy hour, if I'm at the baseball game, if, if, if I'm at church, if I'm at an antique show, wherever I am, I've got to talk about some good black history my latest discovery, what I'm trying to write, who I'm trying to reach out to, whether the descendants won't talk to me, or what, what roadblocks the institutions are putting up. You know, it's not mm -hmm. always easy to, to, to deal with the Moreland Springer Research Center, <laughs> or it's not always easy to deal with some university. I mean, so it, it, 
I, I, I hope and pray that as we move forward and, and there's a collective consciousness with regard to how important all of us have a role to play in uncovering, documenting, and sharing this resplendent heritage that people of color have. I'm sorry? And, and to that point, do you think that the elders are doing a good job in passing that history down? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, I've been doing oral history uh, since the early 90s, some as, some as a consultant on some grant-funded projects and some privately just on my own. It's been very difficult to get some of our folk to talk. Uh, some of them want to say it's too painful. Some of them want to say they don't have anything to say, it's not important. Uh, what I see is a, a large amount of disconnect with our youth and our elders. I see a large disconnect within the family structure. Uh, I was blessed because Nanny Jack was always around. I loved old people to this day. I, I love old people. I get excited if I meet someone over a certain age. I want to know about their Jim Crow experiences. You know, when did they vote? Uh, what school did they go to? Uh, what famous entertainers? Are, you, you know, I just want to instantly go back in time with them if they care to and share some eyewitness experiences that can help share, shed some light on some of the problems that we have today. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud to be a person of color, and I get that because my my ancestors were very proud. They may have been humble, they may have been this, they may have been that, but I walked out the door knowing that I was somebody every day, every single mm -hmm. day, and it came from my house. So, yeah, anyway, you, go ahead. Uh, you know, that comment reminds me of... Uh, uh, James Brown, I'm black and I'm proud. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's a nice segue. That's a nice segue to. Uh, there's a wonderful piece in the Caves exhibit at the Jack Shaman Gallery, uh, where you see a black power fist, and then he has made a fabulous quilt of a star, and in the colors of red, black, and green. And when I was working on the text uh, as a consultant with the director Tamson Green. One of the things that I said to her is um, automatically when I see that clenched fist, I think of right on, I think of stay loud, I'm black and I'm proud. I think of the Olympic stars standing up on the podium uh, with their clenched fist. So, you know, I, I get kind of goosebumps thinking about saying loud, I'm black and I'm proud because I am old enough <laughs> to, to remember <laughs> that time period. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's great. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, what's happening uh, or what was happening? I don't know if they fixed the situation at uh, the Wright Museum in Detroit. What do I think? Well, I, I think that's a systemic issue. Uh, unfortunately, uh, folks, when I mean folks, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about people of color don't fully understand the concept of philanthropy. We can go to a concert and see Jay-Z and, and, and Beyonce, but we can't make a donation or pay to join to get a full membership at a critically important black museum. Uh, if you look at what's going on in Pennsylvania with the Augustus Wilson Center, a similar story. Uh, if you look at the original F. Lewis Museum in, in Baltimore, 
struggling financially. It, it, it's sad. It's a sad commentary that we have some of the best history and culture that everybody wants a piece of, but we don't want to do what it takes to uh, sustain them and make them thrive and be uh, at the top of the game where they rightfully belong. Mm, so, so, so true. Now, I know you want to uh, promote an upcoming event, right? Yes, I do, uh, very much so. Uh, I would hope that people that don't know about the Jack Shaman Gallery in New York in Chelsea would stop by uh, on Friday the 19th coming up at 6 o'clock to uh, see, meet me and uh, hear me talk about some uh, very powerful racist memorabilia and its impact on the past and present-day society. I'm going to be showing some never-before-seen items from my archives. I'm going to tie some of it into some of the themes that uh, Nick Cave has so uh, magnificently done in his Made by Whites for Whites exhibit. Now, did you promote this on uh, your Facebook? I, I, you just add to each other on Facebook. I wonder if there was a way in terms of some concrete uh, Internet Fear that we can get this on uh, the internet. Uh, maybe we yeah, can there, there, there's, there's a link. Okay, there's a link that I sent uh, uh, right before the show for, for the Jack Shaman Gallery. Where if you scroll down on the link, you see the programming and you see that it says um, uh, an artifactual journey with Philip J. Merrill of Nanny Jack and Company at 6 p.m. on the 19th. Okay, and would and you can please promote that on your Facebook page? Oh, oh no, of course, of course I will. I'm, I'm also going to promote that I was very excited to uh, be on the show. Uh, I uh, I have the, the the book that I'm looking at right here. Um, uh, the gist of freedom is still faith in my archives. Um, I've, I've been a big fan for quite some time. Um, okay. I, go ahead. Uh, your Facebook page. Tell us about that. Two. I have the the one that I've kind of haven't one. been doing anything with lately called Eyes Are the Window to the Soul, Collected Images of African Americans. Yeah. I like hmm? that one. I just liked it. That that woke that woke me up one morning. Um, my my father, who was my uh, pastor, my attorney, one of my best friends, a part of the business, IT, and everything for us. He died in December of 2012, and in January of 2013, I was awakened one morning with this thought of eyes are the window to the soul. And thus, that sight was born. Uh, and I, I just picked various images from our archives, put it up, and write about. Uh, and I was blessed to have met a descendant of someone from an image that I put up, which I just think is so outstanding. And the image was connected to Tuskegee, and it turns out that there's a connection to Lincoln University, and I've become close friends with the descendant, and I even helped her find a Civil War cabinet card of her husband's great-grandfather. That's the power wow. of Facebook. That's the positive power of Facebook. Is it not? Absolutely. And and you, you, we just have... <laughs> Too many rare photographs, and I spent a great deal of time trying to identify people. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time reaching out to um, 
special collections librarians and archivists and uh, trying to track down someone that I think might be a descendant or someone might be connected to the the photographer studio because there's just too many, as I call, instant ancestors floating around <laughs> in books and exhibits and on the Internet. And I like when they can be identified and we can learn about their true journey. Okay, sounds good. Well, look, Doctor, it was such a pleasure. And no, it was my, uh, I'm it was my pleasure promoting this. Uh, I saw that we have some mutual Facebook friends, uh, Michael Henry yes, Adams, do. Dr. Khalil Mohammed, and uh, I don't know if they're going to be coming on Friday, but I'm going to email them and and, and uh, tell them to come Alilia on. Alilia Bundles is a, is a, is a is a a good friend. Um, Oh, I love work. that. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I sent you also something for November tied into HBCU, which is a whole other topic that I would love to chat with you at some other point about. The yeah, whole HBCU legacy through through artifacts and research is a, is a growing field. Well, absolutely do it. Uh, and if you have anything else that you want us to promote uh, in addition to the link to the show, send it over to our producer, Leslie Giston, and we'll do it. Okay, this has been a pleasure, and keep up the great work. God bless you. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, You were just listening there to a very powerful man um, who told us all we need to know about African-American history and collecting memorabilia, Dr. Philip Merrill. Uh, He is really someone who you should uh, Google um, and, and try to become more familiar with. There is some information on the history makers that he was featured about. Uh, and I think if we can try to uh, research more about the people that have given us so much information, we will all be in a very, very better better place. Now, this show is being sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information you can listen to their audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at www.audiobooksblackhistory.com, www.audiobooksblackhistory.com. Thank you. Until next time.